0: We're live, we're local, the rain is coming down, but the drought is over for our Philadelphia Phillies. What an exciting time. You yeah, know, we made the playoffs. It's awesome. First time in 11 years. I love it. I was, last time I was down there, it was so exciting. I just remember the celebrations. <sighs> we need the good news in Philadelphia because as, as I begin this morning, 409 homicides. It's a record-breaking, heartbreaking Uh, Just a tragic number that we talk about every single day as these homicides reach um, record numbers. And we're surpassing, we're set to surpass last year's tragic number. And then you think about what happened yesterday afternoon in Kensington. The street just riddled, nearly 30 bullets. Um, Several schools, I think five schools, a total of five schools had to shut down police searching for the suspect in that one. As a man remains another man, a second man shot um, in Port Richmond remains in critical condition at Temple University Hospital, so across the city. Anthony, as I begin, do we have um, do we have our sister station NBC Ten reporting on the on the latest shootings and the school shutdown that was forced? Do we have that one?
3: Uh, we have uh, some of the, yes, the school shutdowns that take place uh, due to the, uh, they, it was in Kensington, right? And uh, so
0: that's that's just it. As we go to this report, you know, you think about the terror, and then reporters come up, and I've and I've done this before, you know, in my career, just asking people, um, asking people, you know, what what is this like for you to have to live within this? And a lot of times they're so shell shocked, if you will, that a lot of the kids will say, "No, I'm not shocked. We hear gunfire every day," and so. I've told you, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, the, the CHOP lab that we talk a lot about, really tying this and these kinds of daily shootings to the mental health crisis that we're seeing on top of the shutdowns due to COVID and all of that with schools shut down. So listen into this latest reports. As five schools went on lockdown, people inside having to, to deal with this as five area schools which are yes reopened this morning but listen into this latest report
4: saving our streets is no easy task but school leaders are working hard to keep kids safe after seeing so many of their own students lose their lives to gun violence
2: and in a story you'll only see on Fox our Kelly Rule sat down for a one-on-one interview with the CEO of Boys Latin and spoke with students who live through the violence every day <laughs>
4: Boys Latin Charter School in West Philadelphia, brotherhood is not just a concept, it's a mentality.
2: We stay excited, we greet each other in the morning, and we dance.
4: Last week, they relied on that heavily. Their JV football team was at the scrimmage at Roxborough High School Tuesday when five shooters opened fire on four Roxborough players and another team leaving the scrimmage. 14-year-old Nicholas Elizalde died. Physically, no one from Boys Latin was hurt.
2: When I heard him, I ran to the the opposite way, to to the far side of the field. We just shook hands. A few of them told us they were were going to come here and play football with us. It is like a gut punch that you didn't expect. And to have that... no longer be perceived as a safe space and an opportunity for joy was
4: uh, devastating to me. The high school went into lockdown Thursday as a precaution after a middle school student found a magazine in their backpack on a bus It was quickly lifted. And Friday, CEO Dr. William Hayes says they moved the football game from 7 p.m. to 3 p.m., a change he says they may continue to make moving forward.
2: To suggest that simply moving the game to the daytime Um, prevents any possibility of something like this happening, Uh, we're grappling with that not necessarily being true, given the state of last week. can't even play sports without having to worry about somebody coming up and shooting the game, shooting near the game or something like that. It's just it's just dangerous, and it's not okay. It's unacceptable. This is a safe haven, sure, but once I step out there, who knows what's going to happen to
4: Boys Latin lost six students to gun violence in five years, including a football player just last summer. Dr. Hayes says that carries a persistent trauma. But while students are candid and raw in their feelings about safety in the city, they also are in their hope for change.
2: We kind of lose that 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 like morality where a life is being taken. So. I feel like one, there is ways to solve it civilly, and there is other ways that we could solve it within our government. We all have the ability to change. It's just a matter of like willpower, you know, like what you will, what you're willing to do. We are doing the job of ensuring that they love one another. They're connected to one another. Uh, that they are safe when they are here. They are still deserving of our um, approval, our affirmation, our hope for us to rally around them, because the majority of them are doing exactly what they want, what we want them to do.
0: And so in that report, what you're hearing is, you know, people, kids coping, students coping. Um, It had less to do with, you know, yesterday's situation. Yesterday afternoon, that was the Kensington area. Those five area schools shut down. But looking at a school and students who are trying to cope with what happened in the killing of 14-year-old Nicholas Elizalde, who actually is a resident of suburban, suburban Havertown from Delco, but he was killed in that shooting um, with football players, remember, as they walked off the athletic field at Roxborough High School. It was one week ago today, so 4.30 in the afternoon. It was a bright, beautiful fall day. Three of those wounded players were taken to area hospitals with gunshot wounds. However, for Nicholas Elizalde, who, according to the community, according to police, according to his parents, he was an innocent victim who was caught in that crossfire. I know that saying is such a cliche, but it's it's true. And he, you know, he now we have 409 homicide victims. His mom speaking out saying uh, Nicholas will never be a number. So we do, We don't have publicly the motive for that shooting. It's not known. Police say uh, they obviously pulled images from surveillance cameras in the area. I've talked about that for one week. They've examined social media as well as other sources, tried to talk to witnesses to see whether the violence might have stemmed from events earlier in the day. This was a scrimmage. It was not a game. And the shooting at that point, when we could go today, if you think about this, it came just after Philadelphia surpassed 400 homicides for the year, a week ago, obviously this morning we at 409, 409 souls k- murdered, killed in Philadelphia as of today. But last week, a week ago, it was 400. And that's, you know, a tragic number. It happened hours after, notably, Mayor Jim Kenney, who is a Democrat, signed an order banning guns and deadly weapons from the city's indoor and outdoor rec spaces, including parks, basketball courts, pools, and certainly, I believe that you know, since this was a rec- outdoor rec space, it was a football field um, just outside the shadow of Roxborough High School, so it would be included. But Mayor Jim Kenney had signed that order one week ago today, and I'll update you on that. But we know that, um, other than Elizalde, who's the 14 year old child who was killed, a 17 year old who was shot in the arm and leg, another a fourteen different 14 year old shot in the thigh, and then there was a 15 year old shot in the leg. There was another 14-year-old who was treated for a graze wound to the ankle, so that was treated and released from the hospital, but the three teens remain in stable condition. I don't believe any of them are out of the hospital at this point, so at the time, we had heard a lot of reaction, and it continues, and that's just it, that it continues, not just at Roxborough High School, but when it's a scrimmage, there are multiple Schools involved. So obviously, New- Northeast High School, Boys Latin Charter School, which you just heard, um, that's that report was based at um, at Boys Latin Charter School. So classes have obviously reopened, re- and schools have reopened. The classes resumed, but the stain of that and the psychological, you know, harm or damage, it continues. The scars continue. So several Philadelphia. Eagles tweeting out about the shooting, remember that night, offering prayers for the families and lamenting that gun violence could shatter the safe space, as they're calling it, the kids feel in sports. And I'd say it's, it's more than that. As a football mom, I would say as well that you think that when your kids are in sports, especially boys, I think every parent feels that you're putting them into something that's so positive, and so proactive. And so that, the fact that it happened after a scrimmage was upsetting. So, um, you know, I'm looking for some of them. Lane Johnson tweeted out sports are supposed to be a safe haven. That was one of them. And I think we have Nick Sirianni. Don't we have audio on this? We have sound of uh, Coach Nick Sirianni um, as we talked about the Eagles big victory. Let's listen in to Coach Siriani talk about this.
5: Nick Sirianni showed his support for
2: the victims wearing a Roxborough t-shirt during post-game interviews.
1: My heart goes out to them. My 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 thoughts and prayers go out to them Um, and and hopefully they they feel safe going back and playing a game that you know can help take us out of bad situations not put us in bad situations.
0: Yeah so uh, you know I think it it hurt Uh, Jalen Hurts has he's tweeted out about it and others because I think that there is a certain community within football and football players, and the fact that you know they learned that maybe one of the kids involved here might have been the intended target. We don't have the final word on that one. Remember, they had found the stolen vehicle, that the getaway vehicle. But think about every single day when I am talking about these these different crimes and these shootings, and and maybe you know think about nine plus people murdered in the city of Philadelphia. The gunmen involved or the shooters involved in those situations, I don't have word of arrests in the in the vast majority of these shootings. So they're out there still. And that weighs heavily on all of our minds, doesn't it? Now, as far as that executive order, that Jim Kenney signed, um, as many had called it a stunt, a publicity stunt that, you know, really was sickening for many of you, because what did it do? I mean this Roxborough shooting happened and the shootings go on and the killings go on. But what did it really do Jim Kenny? It did nothing. And so already a court has permanently a judge permanently gave an injunction to a group that took this to court. You know it was you knew it was going to go to court. And this is a political stunt on the backs and the lives of Philadelphians and children. That's what Jim Kenny did. But a, a court, a judge ruling yesterday that, in fact, no, you can't, it's, you can't do this. Why? Because he's trying to trump a, a state law, Pennsylvania state law. And so by signing that executive order, of course, Mayor Kenny knew it would be taken to court and he knew this co- coverage would happen. And then he could shake his hand, his head, as well as Krasner, and they could say, oh, what a shame those gun people. And we're just trying to, you know, keep the guns off the streets as if, as if it kept one gun off the street or as if the gunman would look and see the sign, it's a round sign that says no guns in and around, you know, rec centers. And as if the the gunman would look at the sign with the round sign with the red through it and say, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're not going to go here. But now this judge has in fact ruled in the favor of a Second Amendment's rights advocacy group. So that's the latest and the group speaking out saying, you know, they will they will continue to fight this. We also have um, public memorial services today for Pennsylvania Chief Justice Max Baer. He died at 74 months before he was set to retire, highly respected, and Republicans and Democrats speaking out about him because they said he was a voice of reason. So dying at 74, that's why flags, all flags in Pennsylvania flying at half staff. Also, Governor Tom Wolfe vetoed legislation that would have kept violent prisoners behind bars longer, longer, but that the governor argues was essentially the same as imposing mandatory minimum sentences. It's called Markey's Law. I've talked about this before. House Bill 146. It was named after Markey Mason, an 8-year-old little boy who was stabbed to death by a man who had been paroled at the end of his minimum sentence for homicide, even after committing two separate assaults of other inmates while in prison. So the boy was killed in a home in, um, in Union, Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, in July of 2019 after that paroled man, Keith Burley Jr., had fought with the boy's mother. And so now we have the latest from Governor Tom Wolf. He's vetoing this because he's against essentially mandatory minimum sentences. But, you know, many speaking out about this. In his veto message, though, Mr. Wolf called the legislation misguided, saying the bill was prompted by a tragic death of an eight year old little boy. Wolf says he sympathizes with the family for their loss and for the desire of lawmakers to make Pennsylvania a safer place. But Governor Wolf went on to say this legislation does not promote public safety, but instead proposes a mechanical and ineffective structure of mandatory parole denial, which is, in effect, a mandatory minimum by another name. Now, what's significant about this legislation is that it had passed the Senate by a 41 to 9 vote, and then the House had voted 133 to 69 in Pennsylvania to concur with the changes made by the Senate for the original bill. And so many speaking out about this, criticizing the governor's veto, saying how upset they are, they're disappointed, they're disgusted with the governor's decision to veto Markey's Law. It's an important, common-sense legislation, they say, saying that the bill would have kept the most dangerous inmates from a premature release in order to protect our Commonwealth residents and would have saved Markey's life. So, this is causing a lot of debate in Pennsylvania for sure. We'll talk about it moving forward if you want to sound off. 855 839 1210. This is the Dawn Show. I'll tell you, I'll give you an update on what's happening with all those shelter animals displaced after Hurricane Ian. They're now arriving here in our area. And it is the the patron saint of um, St. Francis today as it's World Dog Day or World Animal Day. So I'll update you as well on the canine named Ember, who mysteriously, I say in air quotes, died, was reportedly left in a hot vehicle in South Jersey. It happened Friday, August 12th. So I'll update you on that story an emotional story for many as the outrage and the calls from the community get louder demanding action demanding transparency this is the dawn show i'm dawn stensland you can find me on twitter at Stenzland. we'll be right back i'll update you on what's happening in florida of course as the death toll rises most of the deaths in southwest florida as those efforts continue and as you know first responders from our region are there helping out in those some of them are um, recovery efforts sadly some are some are those searching for survivors but it's uh, this will go on for all week and many people are not expected to have power back until maybe this weekend hopefully this weekend but i i, I wanted to share with you you know a bright light in my opinion out of this as we learned that, and this is a great partnership between when when government, when the public sector works with the private sector, and the, the name Elon Musk emerges. So Elon Musk now is helping out. So he was called on by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida with his Starlink, Starlink satellites in response to Hurricane Ian. I think I said this on the air when it was happening that I wish I had bought my friends one of those cell phones with the Elon Musk Starlink satellite feature or backup where you can call 911 and Starlink helps out. And I suspect that that will one day be the norm, that when you call 911, even if you don't have service from anywhere on the planet, you'll be able to hopefully tap into some kind of a, a satellite link. But listen in as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that the SpaceX chief executive, Elon Musk, had agreed to provide the company's satellite internet service to help out with things. Let's listen we in. We
5: understand they're working on cell phone service. We understand they're working on uh, getting getting the electrical back. Uh, we wanted to be helpful as best we could. So you know, we're working with Elon Musk, and he's got the Starlink satellite, so he's been repositioning those to be over this part of Florida. Um, and we're able to give these, I, I guess it comes from there to here then you can get the internet off off this with your device so these are really important things so we've been able to bring these for use here in Hardy county uh, by the emergency personnel and then however else they want to use it we're also getting another 100 probably about 120 over the next 24 hours and we will provide some here but you can put those in different parts of the community and people could then connect uh, if they're in close enough proximity to, to one of these devices. And so it's coming from the space to here and then onto your device. But you can't get the connectivity straight from your device from the satellite unless you have these things. So these things are very, very important and we're happy to be able to bring that here. And then hopefully that will assist with some of the connectivity issues. I know people are working really hard uh, to get all the services back online, uh, but in the intermeaning period, we want to make sure that, that you have the support here.
0: Thank goodness. And, you know, as as Florida recovers, as the Carolinas recover as well, there is word this morning that there are two tropical disturbances being watched very closely as Florida, especially, still reels and recovers from Hurricane Ian. So um, these meteorologists still watching these two disturbances brewing in the Atlantic. I saw this. I said, "Oh no!" Now I will say that after you know tomorrow, it looks like some sunny weather for us Thursday through the weekend. But this is the Eastern Tropical Atlantic, and we're told that there's this broad low pressure system a few hundred miles southwest of Cabo from those from those islands. So that system is given a 70% chance of developing over the next couple of days and 80% chance of developing within five days. So unfortunately, the conditions look good. They're watching it very carefully. But in other words, uh, maybe next Monday-ish, Florida could be hit again with not a major hurricane. That's not what they're saying. But these these are large tropical storms. And, you know, that's, that's not what they need to have huge storms moving through the region when they're still trying, especially in Fort Myers and Southwest Florida, as we've talked a lot about, right? So uh, prayers with them and many donations as the death toll rises today. The latest is that um, Florida search and operation redoubled as the death toll has topped 100. So search and rescue teams in Florida doubling back to just examine tens of thousands of homes and businesses after that initial sweep through the areas ravaged by Hurricane Ian as that death toll from one of America's fiercest storms on record topped 100. So emergency crews uh, doing the inspections, in other words, they went through and just tried to find any survivors out there. So they said that they inspected some 45,000 properties since Ian blasted ashore last Wednesday, flooding seaside communities, high surf that washed away so many buildings, and we've all seen the the pictures. It's, it's unbelievable. And Fort Myers, where I worked early in my career at Wink TV, which is the CBS station there, oh my goodness, that's when I covered the Queen of England, actually was um, touring Florida at that time, and covered some great stories, but... Fort Myers in the city of Fort Myers, of course, you know, flooding and everything. But when we say Fort Myers, we're mostly talking about the, the coastal areas. And Fort Myers Beach just wiped out Lee County. And so we're we're hearing more from their, they have daily morning briefings. But um, it looks like um, at least 103 U.S. storm-related deaths have been confirmed since Ian made the landfall. And it made landfall, as you know, slamming right into the southwest region of the Gulf Coast of Florida. It was a Cat 4, Category 4 hurricane, catastrophic force, obviously, packing max winds of 150 miles an hour. So tomorrow, I know the Bidens are supposed to tour the the wreckage and meet with some different groups. So, of course, we'll be talking about that as well. The Dawn Show is going to continue right after this. 855-839-1210 is the number you can always call. Be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails. you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medela, the mark
2: of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
0: Yeah, I think the, the world of the Piazza family team, it, it's fall, this weekend's going to be gorgeous. So we just have to get through the rain today and tomorrow. But starting Thursday, that crisp Beautiful, sunny, fall weather returns, bright, sunny skies, mid-70s. And yeah, now that the school year is underway, it's a great time to search for that new or certified vehicle that you've been wanting. You know you want it. Well, my friends from the Piazza Auto Group, they're always here to assist you with any and all of your automotive needs, including leasing, financing, maintenance, and much more. Piazza, they've grown to include Piazza Premium Automobiles with locations across Pennsylvania and now Northern Delaware, so just visit com for the Land Rover, Jaguar, Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, Alfa Romeo, or that Maserati dealer nearest you. Make sure you tell the Piazzas Dawn sent you. And let's move on now with Joe Biden. This is technically a local story. Why? Because President Joe Biden is talking about how he was raised in a, a large Puerto Rican community in Delaware. Who knew? So yes, telling the audience vis- while visiting Puerto Rico that he was well, why don't you just listen in?
5: Heading to Puerto Rico because they haven't been taken very good care of. We've been trying like hell to catch up from the last hurricane. I want to see the state of affairs today and make sure we push anything we can.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> President Biden talking about that large Puerto Rican population in Delaware, I think he meant I don't I don't really know what he meant. Maybe he thought that um, he I, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to Biden's plane over here. Darth Biden's plane. I, I, maybe you can explain to me. Eight, five, five, eight, three, nine, twelve, ten. Because I looked up what the population would have been because, of course, Biden, who's 79, he turns 80 in November. He was first elected to the United States Senate back in 1972, two years after winning election in the Newcastle, Delaware County Council little trivia back in the day. And so back then, if you look up the population, um, not not a large Puerto Rican community at that at that time. So they're saying, you know, very small community. In fact, even when you look at according to the 1970 ish U.S. census, Delaware had about uh, 2000 people who were either born in Puerto Rico or were the descendants from Puerto Rican parents. Very small population of the first state's population of Puerto Ricans. At the time, uh, Delaware's population was a little over half a million people, 550,000 people. So nobody knows what he's talking about. And so that one certainly has gone viral as people kind of make fun of President Joe Biden and think, what in the world is he is he talking about? We We don't know what he's talking about, but... I guess kind of inflating those those numbers. Hmm. Let me know what you think. 855-839-1210 is the number to call. So earlier, I you know we had talked a lot about some political stories there. So let's listen in. This is a United States. Well, he wants to be your next United States Senator of Pennsylvania. He's the Lieutenant Governor of um, Pennsylvania. Do we do we have a you know? Do we have any sound yet with Fetterman and Oz debating? No, and I don't think you're going to hear the sound of that, because Fetterman continues to dodge his opponent, Republican, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who has tried and tried to get Fetterman to debate, but we do have some audio for you of Fetterman talking about uh, first-degree murder charges, so listen in. I'm
5: happy that he's going to be going home to his family, and that even if you're not moved by again, the morality, of. Having these folks go back home despite serving sentences that were in excess to what the crime was, uh, from a financial murder that, that's no longer on the state and taxpayers. There's
0: some question about these innocents
5: and uh, guilt, Certainly, there's, there's,
0: there can always be. Yes, so. That
3: just to clarify mm-hmm. that reporter, they're saying, uh, aren't there safety concerns? Because he's specifically talking about a case in this instance of someone with a first degree murder charge. And he tries to essentially spin it, saying, uh, I'm saving the taxpayers money uh, instead of I'm putting a criminal back out there.
0: And so do we have the sound of that? Do we have more sound or is that it? Uh, th- that's that's it. right there. He, okay. he
3: kind of moved on right after that. So, the, so. it's hard to hear. Thanks, yeah.
0: Anthony. Yeah. Anthony Zorenzo, you know, um, you know, clarifying that i think that that goes along with you know what i had told you early earlier uh, about governor tom wolf vetoing and, th- and this is this is what's happening as governor tom wolf had had vetoed a bill that would keep killers keep killers behind bars and let them serve their full sentence and not parole the most dangerous people especially if they've committed violence behind bars So Fetterman even now continuing, um, you know, continuing to defend this. And I know that his ads, if you watch the commercials, he's pushing back on, he's pushing back on crime. Um, There's a sheriff, I think we played this for you at some point, but the sheriff featured in the one ad defending U.S. Senate candidate John John Fetterman that he uh, voted with law enforcement experts nearly 90% of the time on the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons and voted to give a second chance to nonviolent offenders. But it's what the ad doesn't say that may be misleading viewers. You know, it's amazing to me that they don't have to, nobody seems to fact check this. I know the feds are supposed to, you know, rule over this, but It just seems that there's no fact checking on any of this. Well,
3: and it's interesting, too, because this all is happening at the same time that supposedly Fetterman's camp is preparing a campaign to launch Republicans for Fetterman ads all over the state, which I really wonder how that's going to go over, because I, I mean, even if you're a moderate, even a little bit to the left, some of this crime stuff, if you're living in the city, I mean, there are plenty of quotes with Fetterman talking about, you know, pretty radical ideas. So I don't know how Republicans for Fetterman's going to go.
0: Right. Here's the deal. And I'm not going to play that sound that you polled, Anthony, because I want to, I, I have a problem with airing a report that claims that all of these people are Republican voters or are Republicans. What really they were registered and they switched their registration because we can look that up. So I'll look it up. And I want to do a little background before I air something and say all these Republicans are switching and they're all voting for Democrats. It just seems a little suspicious to me. So I'll do a, I'll do a little deep dive. I'll, I'll research that because I want to make sure if I'm airing something for you that in fact it's been vetted. And I suspect what you'll see is that either these people, they tend to go back and forth and maybe they've they voted as a, a Democrat most of the time and that maybe they they switched their affiliation. I'm not sure. But it just they, there's something about this ad that doesn't ring true to me. And even if the even if people were saying, well, I'm going to vote for I won't vote for Fetterman, but I will vote. You know, I'll, I'll split my vote. In other words, I, I could believe a split vote. But to say, oh, no, I I was always Republican. I voted all ours right down the line, and now I'm going to switch, it seems curious to me. Now, Fetterman's Republican opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz, and groups that support him, they've pounded the airwaves with these ads and social media posts, some of them misleading, that obviously seek to paint Fetterman as soft on crime, and that's the imagery. The ads have focused on Fetterman's role, for example, as the chairman of the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons, which makes recommendations, as you know, to the governor— about pardons and clemency, clemency applications from those inmates serving life sentences. I've played over and over for you, and we can't play it enough, where Fetterman wanted to release all of the, the convicts of second-degree murder, wanted to release, early release, wants to get them out of prison ASAP. And Fetterman has, you know, been an unabashed advocate for giving some prisoners a second chance. Now, for me, here's my take. I believe in redemption. I believe in in a second chance after somebody has served their time. But to parole violent predators early is absurd to me. And it puts us in danger. This is the Dawn Show. I want to hear from you. 855-839-1210 is the number to call. You can find me on Twitter at Dawn Stensland. I'll be right back. Consumer news as U.S. manufacturing growth slows to the lowest point in two years Amid a consumer spending decline. So we've talked a lot about the economy. I feel it every time I go to the grocery store. I have teenage boys, they're growing. So my husband and I are always looking for those Acme coupons or the giant coupons or whatever it is. Because, you know, our prices, especially at the grocery store, we're feeling it. But this is U.S. manufacturing growth for the month of September, slowing to its lowest point in two years and nearing stagnation due to a decline in orders, and that's according to uh, that, that's according to the Institute for Supply Management's manufacturing survey, showing a nearly two point drop to fifty point nine percent, dropping below those expectations, unfortunately, and then reaching the lowest growth since May of twenty twenty. This is according to this new data uh, released on Monday. The index showing an order contract for the third time in four months. So new orders reaching the lowest point since the pandemic and contracting more than four points. So the total number here is 47.1%. This indicates that consumer spending is declining. And you've heard me interview so many experts, economic experts talk about this, the cause and effect of everything that's happening. So, um, they were saying that following four straight months of panelists companies reporting softening new order rates, the September index reading reflects companies, you know, trying to make those adjustments to potential future lower demand. And this is the domino impact that I'm always talking about. So the U.S manufacturing sector continues to expand, but at its lowest rate since the pandemic recovery began. So it's unfortunate news. For us. Um, the survey reported that nine manufacturing industries showed growth last month, including mineral products, machinery, plastics. ISM reported that seven industries contracted furniture, textiles, and wood. What about factory employment? And I'll, I'll, coming up, I will get to talking about what's happening with employment in New Jersey and a new law that may be taking effect that's really impacts businesses hiring those temporary workers. But factory employment also declined as there was a notable increase in hiring freezes, and this is across the manufacturing sector. However, markedly absent from the comments here, any large-scale mentioning of layoffs? That's so I'm trying to be hopeful here. I don't see that in any of these reports. So smaller layoffs indicating companies are confident of near-term demand. So I think you know they're thinking for now they're they're slowing up a little bit just watching very carefully and so we will watch as well as we look at this latest economic news and what's happening in real time JP Morgan by the way trimming Disney's price target citing higher direct to consumer losses so we're seeing this uh, with regard to the the banks so I continue to follow all of this Uber shares though um, you know, we're watching that one as well with the court proceedings um, happening in the nation with regard to Uber. So I want to talk about the fact that there's no place like home. You've heard me talk a lot about Chapman windows doors and siding. We love every all the work that Chapman has done in our home, especially our our especially our patio doors off of the off of the foyer there. We have other you know, installations in the house, but those, I think, are stunning. And as far as Chapman goes, I think the world of them, the Chapman family team, two brothers going into business nearly 30 years ago. They gotta be coming up on thirty, so we have to have a celebration soon. But the Chapman family team, they offer meticulous work, outstanding service, high quality products, product knowledge, and they get it. They're gonna listen to your unique needs and certainly fit within your family budget. I'm always talking about, you know, the Chapman difference. One of those differences Premium architecture shutters designed to last a lifetime. Historically accurate shutters, just beautiful hardware options. I love that. And lifetime warranties for the shutters, including the Sherwin-Williams Pauline UV Reflective Paint Finish. They're maintenance-free, custom design, built to your exact specifications or maybe to match your existing shutters. They're not going to rot, sag, or warp. Over 26 standard colors and custom color matching for best in class shutters that combine truly a lifetime of beauty and technology, it's time for those New Horizon shutters, courtesy Chapman. You can call them or text 610 431 8898. 610 431 8898. ChapmanWindowsDoors.com. Chapman, the name I trust. Please let them know Dolan sent you. As we talk about economic news and the latest happening, there's a, a new jobs report that's out. And this is a breaking news story. The level of job openings plunged more than a million in August, providing a potential early sign that the huge US labor gap is beginning to close. So available positions totaling ten point oh five million for the month. That's a ten percent drop from eleven point seventeen million reported in July. This is the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So the government, you know, releasing all these latest numbers today. So that was also well below the 11.1 million, um, you know, estimate. So the number of hires rising slightly while total separations jumped by 182,000. And those who quit or left their jobs, in other words, voluntarily rose by 100,000 for the month to more than 4.16 million people quit, said, I quit, take this job and you know what. The job openings numbers are watched closely, obviously, by the Federal Reserve, which is trying to reverse runaway inflation. And as as we've talked about in with our experts, the Fed failed to do enough soon enough. So they failed initially, they had time to do it, and they were just very slow to act. And so now we're feeling that pain and they've warned us we're gonna feel the pain. Winter is coming is as some folks said. So one primary area of interest for the central bank has been the ultra tight labor market, which had been showing about two job openings for every available worker. So that ratio now has contracted to 1.67. I always love those. It's like one, what? (laughs) One, you know, one in three fourths of a person to one in August. So it's it's not great jobs news in other words. And that really brings us to you know people still in pandemic recovery. We talk a lot about that. And that's why what's happening with this bill of rights for temporary workers is critical in New Jersey. In other words, it we thought that it was done with because remember Murphy we told you had vetoed it. Well now um, he vetoed it yes this bill of rights for temporary workers but it's in play why because Governor Phil Murphy had conti- conditionally vetoed it last month so the New Jersey general Assembly they kind of tweaked it and they passed several pieces of this legislation yesterday including these protections for temporary workers and that's what we're that's what's in the news that's what I want to hone in on What does this mean? So Assembly members approving Murphy's recommendations to the bill, known as the Temporary Workers Bill of Rights, and it's a vote of 42 to 27, obviously along party lines, it would require temporary work agencies to provide those uh, contracted temporary workers with pertinent information like uh, job location terms, compensation in English, and the worker's primary language, states that a worker's Wages must not fall below the state minimum wage following deductions for meals and equipment. So temporary work agencies and those third-party clients, they would also be required to register with the Division of Consumer Affairs and then maintain records about the workers as well as their employment. And anybody who would fail to do so would face a fine of $1,000 per violation. So we had some Republicans speaking out against this, including Assemblyman uh, Brian Bergen, who's a Republican from Morris County. And he talked about it, saying the measure would dramatically increase the cost of temporary labor to businesses just as what they're trying to. We're still in recovery mode. And so this is, you know, this is tough. Now, the Republicans had already had already introduced alternative legislation as well that would create important protections for workers without strangling New Jersey's staffing sector with the burdensome red tape like this, with all the bureaucracy. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, that those, those recommendations, those, you know, slight alterations that wouldn't strangle businesses, they're not, they're not, that's not what we're talking about here. And so this is why a lot of businesses are, are concerned about this recovery in New Jersey. And it's why we're seeing businesses just leave our region, leave the East Coast, and where are they heading? They're heading south, whether it's the Carolinas, whether it's Florida, whether it's Texas. You know, this is part of the reason it's not just the workers and the wages, it's all the red tape that they have to jump through. Now, the Assembly also passed a fix to a child tax credit that was passed during New Jersey's budget season that would make the $500 per child refundable credit available for income earned in 2022. And it passed in the Senate last Friday. So that's something that's headed to the governor's desk. So I'm always following this. And, you, you know, you hear a lot about it to say, well, we should have protections for temporary workers. Yes. But part of this is creating all that red tape because, after all, it involves what? Bureaucracy and government. Uh, I will tell you that the temporary worker advocacy groups, they were out there, they were applauding and they were, you know, outside and um, right inside. If if you've, I've done a lot of coverage inside the Capitol there in New Jersey. So inside the Rotunda and yes, out in the rain as they were applauding this, but a lot of businesses, a lot of business people and those types of advocates say you're killing our businesses and this is not good news. And then there will be those ramifications for sure And we should also, I should mention this crazy one because I had to admit earlier this morning that I do have one of those lawnmowers that I inherited from my grandma and it's like one of those push lawnmowers that, you know, it's motored by uh, you. So there's a push in Rehoboth in Delaware that commissioners are considering that they're taking, you know, a chapter out of the book of what has passed already in, for example, Washington, D.C., where they want to ban all the noisy, polluting leaf blowers and lawn mowers, and so Washington's ban on those polluting gas-powered blowers and the push mowers went into effect this year. Rehobos' proposal would expand just beyond the leaf blowers, though it would include yes, the push lawn mowers, the string trimmers, and smaller chainsaws. But get this, get this. Those big ride riding lawnmowers and the bigger chainsaws over 14 inches long, those would be exempt. So in other words, if you got a guy and you hire a guy to do this and they have all the big professional equipment or a big good old ride-on lawnmower, you're good to go in Rehoboth Beach. But if you've got the lousy little gas-powered <laughs> you know, device, whether it's a leaf blower or it's the push lawnmower, um, that's gas powered. Not so much that would be banned. So this is up for consideration, and the Rehoboth committee is expected to meet again later this month to talk about its final recommendation for the town commissioners. So I'm sure that um, Joe Biden will definitely no he no he doesn't do his own lawn. That's right. So and plus he's got the big wall that our tax dollars are building as they're building the huge wall and the big fence around his property. So nobody would be able to see you know, what's going on, who's mowing the lawn anyway. All right. This is The Dawn Show. I'm Dawn Stensland. You can find me on Twitter at Dawn Stensland, 855-839-1210 is the number to call. Be right back. T-Mobile
2: has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours